We ask our Father that you enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and your incomparably great love towards we who believe. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you've been to a few weddings, it's very likely that you've come across this passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Excuse me. And it's not just Christian weddings that use the passage. Most marriage celebrants offer it as a reading simply because it speaks so eloquently of love and people find it endearing. Even people who insist that they don't want a religious wedding will want the reading, only to be shocked when told that it comes straight from the Bible. Now, of course, if you're a Christian, that won't surprise you at all. But what might surprise you is to find it where it is. After 11 chapters of Paul dealing with controversies in the church, this chapter on love is sandwiched between two chapters that deal with the misuse of spiritual gifts. And at first glance, you have to wonder, well, what does a wedding chapter on love, why does it suddenly pop up here? What on earth has this got to do with speaking in tongues and prophecy? Well, in one sense, it has nothing to do with spiritual gifts whatsoever. And that seems to be Paul's point, that the Corinthians had made spiritual gifts to be the true measure of what it means to be a mature Christian. But Paul's point is that the measure of your spirituality, the measure of your Christian maturity, the measure of you being a Christian at all, is not how you display your gifts, but how you display your love. And that's how Paul introduces the chapter. He says, and yet I'll show you the most excellent way. From verses 1 to 3, Paul makes the point that love is greater than all of the gifts. Greater than the gifts that the Corinthians treasured so highly. Having tongues without love is like being a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Having gifts of prophecy, knowledge and even faith without love will account for nothing. Even the willingness to give up everything, even to death, well, if it's done without love, well, it gains nothing. Imagine, for instance, that tomorrow you choose to sell all your possessions and you go to Bible college for three or four years. Then imagine that you graduate as the best student that they've ever had. They ask you to stay on as a lecturer because of your great knowledge and your gifted teaching ability. But instead, you choose to go to North Korea to preach the gospel. Thousands are converted because of your ministry, but eventually you're captured by the regime, you're tortured, and you're put to death for your faith. Your body's then flown back to Australia and you're given a state funeral. Hero of the church and martyr for the faith, your Christian life looks to be exceptional and impressive. But if it's not grounded in love, if your primary motivation is not love for God and love for God's people, then no matter how good it might seem, it counts for nothing in God's reckoning. You can be a spiritually mature Christian without spectacular gifts, but you can't be a spiritually mature Christian 
without love. Only faith, hope and love are indispensable to being a Christian and nothing else. From verses 4 to 7, Paul lists some of the characteristics of love. And his point seems to be that love is characterised by the very things that the Corinthians were not. It's like Paul is saying to them, love is patient, but you're not. Love is kind, but you're not. Love doesn't envy, but you do. Love doesn't boast, but you do. And love's not proud, but you are. And the list goes on. And when you hear this passage at a wedding, it may bring a sentimental tear to your eye. And when the Corinthians first heard it, I think that they might have cried too. Not because they were feeling sentimental, but because they were feeling shamefaced. They would have understood the passage much better than your average marriage celebrant. And they would have realised that the sort of love that Paul speaks of was not about romance or affection. If Paul wanted to speak of romance or affection, well, there's Greek words for those emotions, and he didn't use them. But Paul does use a word which we call agape. And that's a word that uniquely expresses God's love. When John says that God is love, that's the word he uses. Agape is God's love towards us. And God's love is not simply an affection. God's love towards us is always expressed in action. God's love towards us is a disposition of his heart, his mind and his will to do good to us regardless of whether we are good to him or not. Agape, well it's like altruism, except it's not directed simply to a stranger. God directs his love to an enemy. Agape is a sacrificial love. It's a love that Christ demonstrated to us when he died on the cross for us. And as the Apostle John reminds us, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. So it fits that this chapter on love will perfectly describe the love that Jesus has for us. But even that is not Paul's purpose in writing the chapter. His purpose is to show the Corinthians how far they've fallen short of the standards of love that God demands. And the Corinthians had every reason to be ashamed. Though love is patient and kind, well, they couldn't wait for poor members of the church to arrive before they gorged themselves at church meals. That though love is neither envious, boastful or proud, they boasted in their gifts, their favourite leaders and their knowledge. That though love isn't rude, self-seeking or easily angered, and keeps no record of wrongs, well, they insisted on their rights with no regard for anyone at all. And far from being forgiving, they chose rather to take one another to court. Though love does not delight in evil, some of the Corinthians persisted in temple prostitution and ignored incest in the church. 
Though love always protects, hopes, trusts and perseveres, the Corinthians live for the moment. Love didn't seem to be on their radar. But wherever God's Holy Spirit abides, love will endure. Love is astonishingly resilient. It's not suspicious or cynical. It seeks to believe the best about others. Love does not give up on other people, but it's prepared to offer a second chance and a third and to forgive 70 times 7. Now the Corinthians undoubtedly had fallen short on love, but I suspect that if we're judged against the same measure as 1 Corinthians 13, then who among us can stand guiltless? If we apply that measure to ourselves honestly, then it makes us feel uncomfortable. Because like the Corinthians, we too are susceptible to the temptations of pride and willfulness. Like the Corinthians, we too need to be reminded that in God's view, what we value most will count for nothing if we are not loving. God's greatest gift to us, along with the redemption in Christ Jesus, is his gift of the Holy Spirit. And God's purpose in us is that we would grow to be like Christ in character. It's no coincidence then that when Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, the first in the list is love. Clearly love is more important and more central to being a Christian than anything else. So Paul's conclusion in this chapter is to emphasise that love is superior to spiritual gifts because only love will remain forever. Though the Corinthians were convinced that their spiritual gifts had brought them to ultimate spiritual maturity, the irony is that all spiritual gifts will one day pass away. As Paul says from verse 8, Where there are prophecies, well, they'll cease. Where there's tongues, they'll be stilled. And where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. And these will pass away when completeness comes. That is, at the second coming of our Lord Jesus. At the return of Christ, there will be no need for prophecies from God, for then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. At the return of Christ, there will be no need for spiritual gifts. Only faith, hope and love will remain, of which love is the greatest. And surely this is true, because love alone will continue forever. Even faith in time will be, will be absorbed into sight. And hope will finally and completely be fulfilled. But love shall go on into eternity because God is love. So love superior over everything, even the gifts from God's Holy Spirit. But it would be a mistake to think that we should desire love and not the gifts. We should desire spiritual gifts, but our approach to understanding them and using them 
should be driven by the priority of love and nothing else. Now, that's a message we all need to hear. And next week in chapter 14, we shall look at what that means in practice. So read ahead and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Let us pray. We come before you, O Lord, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And we pray that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.